Good morning, everybody. Uh, we're reading from Second Peter. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Let's pray together. Father, it's a blessing to come before you today, and we are dependent upon your grace, dependent upon your love, dependent upon your mercy. God, show us who you are today in a way that brings us humbly before you, pleading for you to work in our lives. God, we're so desperate for you, so desperate for your spirit to awaken our hearts and our minds to you and to draw us to you. So God, move in these moments and let us magnify your name today. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we uh, jumped into this uh, series on the Trinity, and I, I invited you uh, to, to give this a chance, because I, I do know that uh, just by mentioning a theological word by, like Trinity, there's a sense of like, I don't know if this is you know, worth my time. But I, I know that it's, it can feel complicated. So last week, I said that the Trinity is not complicated like calculus is complicated in a way that's boring and uh, just makes your mind hurt. It's complicated like the Grand Canyon is complicated. It's complicated in a way that is beautiful and breathtaking and awe-inspiring. And, and all the, the layers of complexity to who God is are, are worth exploring and diving into. Uh, and as I, I said that, Aaron, when he heard that, he, he, came, he, he thought of another uh, uh, illustration from nature to try to describe what we're, we're trying to do here with the Trinity. So this, uh, Aaron gets the credit for this one. He and his family had been out to uh, Yellowstone National Park, and the biggest waterfall uh, in the park is a, park, uh, a waterfall they call the Lower Falls. It's 308 feet uh, from top to bottom. And uh, when, you get to, when you go to walk to the, to the falls, there is a sign like this, uh, which is the brink of Lower Falls. And I know you won't be able to read all the little words, but I just wanted to show you this, this, where that star is, is where the, the waterfall is located. And if you want to go see the falls, here's all the different places you can go to to see it. So there's a whole bunch of little red arrows that should pop up right now. There you go. So those are all the different places. If you want to go see the waterfall, there's not just one place. It's so big and so loud that there are all kinds of places you can go to to see the waterfall. And every place is looking at the same thing, the same waterfall, but from different vantage points and different perspectives. So you can walk up, there's a, a platform, so I'll show you this first picture called the Brink uh, of Lower Falls. There's this platform where you are standing right at the top of this thing, right at the very top, and you're, you can see all the power of this water coming rushing over this cliff, and you're right on top of it. After that, you can take a little, and, and apparently you can drive, Aaron tells me, right up to this thing. It's like a short walk. Like you don't have to work very hard to get there. But you can drive around to a different spot, and if you're willing to take the stairs, and I Googled it, because he was like, there's a lot of them. I Googled it. There's 300, over 300 stairs. Uh, this is a trail called Uncle Tom's Trail. If you're willing to take all these stairs, you can get to a different vantage point, a different perspective on the same falls. And so that view uh, on that trail looks like this. So it's same waterfalls, and you may even, if you've got really good eyes, see at the very top corner where that other platform was, 
You know, so those people are looking at the same waterfall you're looking at, but you're on the other side uh, of the canyon and look at it another way. But because these falls are so big, you can go to a different staircase on the other side of the canyon, a little ways down. And if you're willing to take all those stairs, this is what the waterfalls look like from the bottom of that little ravine. You can get to one more picture, that one. Wow, you know, same waterfall, but from a different perspective. They're so big, there's more. So Perry, I'll just let you just keep going. There's one more from further away, and you can see the stairs a little bit uh, down the picture where you were before. So you're further away, same one, and then all the way down the, the bottom of the canyon, looking back, all the same waterfall from all the different vantage points and perspectives. My, my goal in this sermon series is a little bit like all those different spots you could get to to look at the lower falls. We're going to take some hikes. Some of them, you basically are just getting out of the car and stepping off and it's there, you know. But they're going to take some other ones that if you're willing to put in some work, mental work, emotional work, spiritual work, if you're willing to take the stairs, there's a different view, there's a different vantage point. It's the same thing. We're spending this whole time focused on the Trinity, on who God is, three in one. And if you're willing to put it in, put in the time and the effort, I think you're going to see some things that are breathtakingly beautiful. At, at Yellowstone, when you're seeing the, 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 the lower falls, we, you are limited by the, the number of paths that are cut through the, the, you know, the canyon and different spots to, to look. There's a lot of options, but there is a limited number. But if you think about who God is and Him being infinite, there's not a limited number. We, we can come at this from all kinds of different angles. There's an infinite depth we can search out to understand who God is better. And if you're willing to, to come to God, to, to behold Him, I think what you'll see are some of the, the deepest truths of the world, some of the answers to the life's biggest questions, and some of the places we can most assuredly find joy and peace and life and the things that we desire most. So when we think about it, when we consider and we come to the Bible and we're asking who, who God is, and we, we say, okay, God is a, is a trinity, what, what do we mean by that? Trinity is a word that Christians have, have given to this description of who God is, as we try to understand in the whole Bible, as God reveals Himself to us and describes Himself to us. So the, the, the word Trinity is a way we have tried to capture that uh, in one word. And what we mean by that is, first and foremost, there's just one God. The, the Bible makes that abundantly clear. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So there's just one God. And yet, at the same time, gloriously, spectacularly, and even a little bit mysteriously, that one God is made up of three persons. And so we read Genesis 1, 1 to 3 that we read last week. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void and darkness over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. We understand that better when we come to the, to the New Testament. In John, our memory verse for the month, in John 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then at the beginning, later on in that chapter, verse 14, we understand who the Word is. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father. So Father, Son, Spirit, all three persons, and one God. And you may hear that and think, Huh? What? And that's, that's okay. When John says the Word was with God and the Word was God, it's okay to say, how can it be both? How can be something be with it and be it at the same time? It's okay for that 
to make our, our heads hurt a little bit and scratch our, our brains trying to think of what, what is going on. Uh, because as we dive into that, that's where we see the beauty of it. There, I promise, to there. if you go try to study the Trinity, you can come up with all kinds of technical words. And it sounds like, you know, you're going into like astrophysics or something, you know. I promise we don't go into technical language. We can just understand this with just Bible words for the most part. But there are two words, I think, that are worth learning to be able to articulate, to be able to say accurately who God is. Those words are essence and person. So God, the, the way theologians describe God is that God has one essence. So you can think of His Godness. That's not a word, but you, know, you can think about that. His Godness, His essence. He has one nature. So God the Father is fully God. God the Son is fully God. God the Holy Spirit, fully God. They have the same essence, one essence. And yet this one essence he, God is three persons. They're not three totally different beings, so we don't say God is three people. We say God is three persons, the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there's only one God, but that one God is three persons who dwell in perfect community, perfect relationship, perfect love together. And if that makes your head spin a little bit, great. You're on track. You're doing the right thing. You're hanging with me if your head's spinning a little bit already. It's been said many times, I don't know who said it first, if God was small enough that we could understand, He wouldn't be great enough for us to worship, right? If God was small enough that He could fit inside my little mind, then I would have no reason to worship Him. There should be some mystery and some complexity with how great and grand God is. And so as we get to kind of the top of what our minds can understand and we try to push a little further. That's, that's a good thing. That means we're, we're on the right track, that we're heading in a way to try to comprehend Him. And I, I think there is this temptation. You know, we, so we may celebrate, hey, it's great that God is, is bigger than I can understand, but there's also a temptation to kind of come to God and say, hey, He's too big for me to understand. We kind of throw up our hands and we just walk away and say, I, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, it's too much for me and, and I don't, I don't want to worry with it. I don't want to stress with it. But that's, that's treating God like He's calculus. Again, no offense to math teachers. I'm sure you enjoy calculus. But it's treating God like calculus, not like the lower falls of Yellowstone National Park. If God is this beautiful, His God is this majestic and as wonderful as we believe He is, then, then it's worth trying. It's worth taking the stairs. It's worth seeing Him from another angle. His beauty is worth beholding. Don't, don't let a few stairs stand in your way of seeing Him for who He is. And even more than just missing out, it's also, I think, disrespectful to God. God has taken great lengths to reveal Himself as He is. For thousands of years, He's been working in human history, and He has taken the effort to, to get through working through people and all that kinds of different ways to get it down in a book that you and I can read and understand. And so to, to begin to comprehend Him is to respect the work that He's done. And say, I, I want to know you, God, for who you truly are. It, it's been said that, that knowing God is like, is like climbing a mountain that is infinitely high, right? If it, by nature, by definition, if a mountain is infinitely high, it doesn't matter how high you climb that mountain, there's still an infinite distance to go, right? If it's an infinitely high mountain. So there could be a temptation to come to the bottom of that mountain and say, why even try? Just throw up your hands and just walk away. It's not even worth it. But if you do that, then you miss out on the view from, from the hike one mile in. You miss out on the view from five miles in and ten miles in. Just because you'll never get to the top of the mountain doesn't mean it's not worth climbing. 
there's, there's a, a knowledge of God that's, that's able to be understood. You, we can comprehend God rightly, not fully, but rightly. And He's worth climbing the mountain to try to understand who He is. And as we do so, we'll, we'll, never, we'll never get to a, a dark side of God that is, that is different from what we understood. You know, with people, some, some people have got, a, have got an evil side. You get to know them. The more you get to know them, you find a, a dark streak in them or some skeletons in the closet, so to speak. Or something comes out after they die and you're like, I didn't know that they had that big sin in their life, right? That will never happen with God. With God, what, what we don't yet know of Him is consistent with what we do know of Him. So, so I'd compare Him to a, a, a really generous and rich philanthropist, somebody who gives away money to, 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 to accomplish good things, okay? So maybe you've heard of this philanthropist and you know he's really generous because he, he donated the money for a school and the school named it after him. He donated money from a, for a hospital and they named the hospital after him. So there's these public things that you know, hey, this guy apparently is very generous. He's giving away money. But imagine getting to know that philanthropist personally. And as you get to know him over time, you realize, hey, he also, nobody knew about it, but he also bought this family a car. And he also bought that family a house when they were in need. And he paid for these people's medical bills. And here's all the generous things he did that I didn't even know about. They weren't public. But the more I get to know him, the more I see his generosity. It's the same generosity that was public. But now you know it's private. God's more like that. The more you get to know him, it's consistent with his character. It's consistent with who he is. But the more you get to know him, the more fully you see him as he is. So last week, we, we tried, tried our best to stretch our minds to the time before creation. Tried to understand what, what was happening before God said, let there be light. And we said we don't have to just make up an answer or, or, or figure out one on our own because Jesus tells us in John 17 that before the foundation of the world, the Father loved the Son. What was happening before creation is that the Father and the Son, by the Holy Spirit, had a perfect relationship. There was perfect unity, perfect love, perfect fellowship. Everything was perfect. So that means that God needed nothing. He didn't create the world out of some need He had to be entertained or for servants or anything. He, he had everything perfectly before the foundation of the world. He, in and of Himself, had everything He needed. He did not create out of a need. He created because He wanted to create. He had a perfect love, and he wanted to share that love with someone else. God shared his love out of the overflow, out of the abundance, like a fountain that's overflowing and sharing its water, its fresh water, with those around it. Love is poured out of God. That's where creation started. So last week we started before creation. Let's step today into creation and let's say this, creation declares the overflow of God's love for the Son by the Spirit. This is what creation is about. Creation is about declaring the overflow of God's love for the Son by the Spirit. Uh, Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies above proclaim His handiwork. All of creation, what God is doing with all of creation, from the, from the yellow falls of Yosemite to Mars, and everywhere far beyond that, he is saying, this is the declaration of my generosity, of my, my overflowing love. Maybe when we see creation, the first thing we think of is God's power. It's amazing he can do all of this. But God could have displayed his, his power 
with, without all the beauty, right? There could have been tremendously powerful things without the beauty of a sunrise or a rainbow or the galaxies above the sky. It's about more than just His power. It's about His love. It would have been plenty for us. We'd have had all of our needs met if there was just one sun and one planet going around it, right? We could live the exact same life we're living if there was just sun and earth, nothing else. He probably could have gotten by less. He could have just made some big square on the ground or, you know, whatever. Not without a round earth, he could have just put a light in the sky. Like He could have been much simpler and we'd have gotten by just fine. But God created other suns, other stars, and more planets to go around our sun. And He created more planets to go around those stars. And then not just our, you know, our little solar system, but other solar systems, galaxies upon galaxies, billions and billions and billions to show how much is in Him. He is infinite. He's enormous. And He's incredibly loving. Psalm 19 goes on to describe the sun as it races across the sky. And the way it shows heat and light and gives forth life to us. The clouds come and they water the earth, and there is life on this earth as a gracious gift from God for us as His creation. He is overflowing with love because the Father and the Son have always had this incredibly beautiful relationship, and He wanted to share it. He wanted to display it with other people. And so He overflowed with love by creating us. Creation, uh, somebody said, is the, the bursting forth of God's love. He just wanted to show somebody. He wanted to create somebody so they could enjoy this love that He has with His Son. He did it all. The Father did it all through the Son and for the Son. Colossians 1.16 speaks of Jesus saying, All things were created through Him and for Him. Hebrews 1.2 says, says that uh, through the Son also God created the world. So this was all done with the Son. So, so it's like the Father and the Son, and anytime you use an illustration, you're going to mess this up because it's, you know, but go with me. It's like the Father and the Son are working together on this project, and they finish it, and the Father says, here you go, Son. This is all for you. This is all for you. I did this for you. Wow, what a beautiful gift. All the galaxies, all the, just our earth, all the people on it, it's a gift to His Son. Colossians 1.17 says, In Him, speaking of Jesus, all things hold together. So now everything wasn't just created out of love, but it is held together. This world would spin off its axis if God decided to stop paying attention to it. This world would just fall apart if God wasn't loving it like He is. There's a phrase in 1 Timothy 1.11 I think is very it's fascinating. It describes God as the blessed God. Blessed God. Many times Scripture tells us to bless God, like to worship Him. But here it says that God by Himself is blessed. Blessed simply means happy. It means content. It means everything's going well. So He's saying God in Himself is blessed. He's happy. He's content. He needs nothing. And creation is kind of a, a display of that. What happened after six days of creation? Genesis 1.31 uh, says, God saw everything that He made and behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And then chapter 2 of Genesis starts, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. God, before creation, was, was happy. He was content. He needed nothing. And yet He overflowed in love and created the world, 
and he's still content. He's still happy. He, he put his feet up, so to speak. He's just resting in his eternal joy and eternal perfection. That's what creation is. Creation is the, is the overflow of that, of that perfect perfection. <laughs> nature, there, there are many ways in nature we see this, but uh, I think another example is music. For every culture, every people, all different times, we all come up with music. It's somehow put into our hearts that we come up with music. And for me to speak about this is like me talking about the Chinese language. Like I know nothing about music, but I know just enough to say that we all appreciate it, don't we? Even though I'm totally tone deaf, I still recognize that when, when somebody sings, another person sings something that sounds a little bit different, and they go together, you call that harmony. I don't know why that works. I just know that it does, you know? When, when we got two voices up here, we got Aaron and Caitlin up here singing together, somehow that works, and it just sounds right, and it's good. These are things that God has put into the world to reflect His beauty and the order and the, 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 the symphony of creation all coming together. It's a description of His love, a display of His love, and the overflow of what He's done for us. Which leads us then to why us? He's got all these things, all these galaxies, all these planets, all these waterfalls, music. But why people? Why people? There are a lot of things out there, and yet we have a very unique place on this earth. And when we start to understand the Trinity, we realize that our, our place in this world is astounding. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. We looked at these verses back last August and said that God, when he created us in his image, it means that he was creating ones whom he loved. This relationship from the beginning that he intended, he loved us differently than he loved the rest of creation. Being created in his image does not mean, means that we are not God. We're different than God. And yet we're also different than everything else in creation. We have a unique spot. So here's the, the, the reality I want you to see about our being created in His image. God uniquely created us to participate in His love. If all of creation is meant to display His love, then what we are created to do is actually to participate in it. We are created to experience a relationship with that God. The God who's displaying His love to all the galaxies made one race of people, the human race, and He said, I want you to participate in the love that I have. We don't just watch the Father and the Son from a distance, like going to a theater and just look at it up there. We get to get on stage with Him. We get to participate in the relationship that God has. We are created for a life with God, in relationship with Him. And the whole reason that's possible is because of the Trinity. Just imagine if there was not, if there's just a one-person God before the foundation of the world, then God wouldn't know what love is. He would have had to invent it. He would have had to come up with it. But relationships are not new to God because God has always had a perfect relationship. He is the relationship expert. He has always known love. He is the very definition of love like we said last week. And so as we come to God, we recognize He's, He's inviting us in. He's inviting us to come be with Him. 
Colossians 1.15 describes Jesus as the image of the invisible God. So Jesus is this perfect display of who God is. And he perfectly enjoys a relationship with the Father. So when we read Romans 8.29, it says we are being conformed into the image of the Son. So if Jesus has a perfect relationship, he's the image of God, and we're being conformed to that, that means we are being conformed in a way that we can have a relationship with God. The one who created all the galaxies, all the stars, all the planets, the one who made everything out there, wants to know you, wants to be in relationship with you. And he has made that possible. He has made that possible. As you go through the Bible, maybe this doesn't strike you the first time, but all the way through is this repeated emphasis on knowing God. Jeremiah, 29, 23, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. This is worth pursuing above everything else. Philippians 3, 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything is useless compared to this. Everything is useless. For His sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is what it's all about. From the very beginning of time, we have been created to know our Heavenly Father. And He made it possible through His Son. Many times when we talk about Christianity, we rightly talk about how important it is for our sins to be forgiven. And we rightly talk about how when we believe in God, He then sanctifies us. That is, He makes us more holy. But if we're not careful, that can sound like a, a very impersonal thing. Like we just appeared before some judge that we've never met, and then He just erases the, the debt column and sends us off to a training camp where we get better, and then He'll check on us again at the end of life and make sure we've got done, done our job, right? And that's not the way the Bible talks about our faith. The Bible talks about us as being adopted into a family. We have been brought to the Father, and He's not a cold Father who just pays the bills and sends us to school. He is a gracious and loving Father who wants to know us deeply, who cares intimately about how the things are going on in your life. He cares about every detail. He numbers every hair on your head. This is our Father who knows love perfectly because He's been doing it for an eternity. And He wants you to experience that love. There is nothing more beautiful, nothing more spectacular than our Heavenly Father wanting a relationship with you and with me. There's nothing better. And because of the Trinity, we, we know what God is and what He's doing and bringing us into a relationship with Him. 2 Peter 1.4, the, the, the verse that I got Scott to read, uh, has this fascinating phrase in it. It says, By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. That sounds like complicated theological nat- you know, language, but which just means we get to participate in knowing God. We get to know God. As we're being made holy, as we're brought into this 
relationship with Him, we actually get to participate in the relationship between the Father and Son. We don't become God ourselves, but we get to know Him truly and rightly as He is. We get to participate like the Father and the Son by the Spirit have a relationship. We too get to participate in that. We can honestly and truly know Him. And that's amazing. I said at the beginning that if we, if we begin to just dip our toes in understanding who God is, it, it answers some of the biggest questions in life. Some of the most difficult questions to answer. The questions that every you know, culture forever has always tried to answer. Things like who we are and where we come from and what's the purpose and where do we find deep satisfaction and joy. Everybody's trying to answer those kind of questions. And knowing God as He shows us who He is, three in one, helps us understand that. Seeing God as the Trinity's helps us see uh, in creation and answer this, that our greatest joy comes in sharing the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What satisfies us, the, the deepest part of our soul, that's longing to be satisfied, what satisfies us is having a relationship with Him. There's truly nothing greater than participating in the divine nature. Our deepest joy, our truest satisfaction, our contentment can only come from God. Consider, consider what your options are for finding joy in this world. When you, when you, when you put them on the scale before you, 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 could, you could pursue joy and satisfaction in a career that, that you get ahead and you make some money and, and you get bigger stuff, bigger car, bigger house, nicer things. That, that's somewhere you could put joy. You could put joy in trying to find the right spouse and, and have a perfect relationship and have kids and the perfect kids and you could try to put your joy in those things. Or you could say, this is a gift from God, but where my joy comes from is knowing God. Amen. The stuff of the world or knowing the creator of the universe. Those are your options for finding joy and satisfaction for eternity. I'll tell you, it's, it's not even close. It's not even close. And yet so often we, we run to the things our eyes can see. We run to the stuff of this world and we say, this, this time it's going to work. This time it's going to satisfy me. If I just had this health issue resolved and my body worked like I wanted it to, if I just got this prayer request answered, then I would have joy. But God says, it's not about the stuff you see. It's not about the things of this world. I'm inviting you to come and to know me. That is what he's offering. To participate in the divine trinity. To, to participate like the Son knows the Father. We too can know your heavenly Father. There's no greater joy. There's no greater joy than that. That is why we were created. Our purpose, our reason for existence is knowing God. And that's what we get to do forever forever. One of the passages that has most impacted me in the last just couple months, just in my own personal time with the Lord, comes out of Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As we consider the Trinity, Consider who God was before the world was founded. Consider what God did on the seventh day of creation. We see Him at rest. We see our Father and the Son and the Spirit at perfect peace 
at perfect joy, at perfect rest, that everything was right and good, and he needed nothing and had no unmet desires. He, everything was perfect. And so many times, that's, that's what we want. And so Jesus, now as we consider what he's said, of course this makes sense. Where's, where's the place you're going to find rest? True rest? Where's the place you're going to find peace? Where's the place you're going to find joy? It's going to be in the one who's had that since before the foundation of the world. If we go seeking rest and peace and joy in anything else, it won't last. It won't last. But God, who at His very nature is gentle and loving and kind and generous, that God, He's had it forever. And He wants to share it with you. Out of the overflow of His love, He wants to share it with you. So He's inviting you today to find rest in Him, to find peace in Him, to find joy in Him. You're invited into the fellowship of the Trinity. You're invited to know the Creator of the world. He asks us to turn from the things of the world and trust in Him alone. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge just how quick our hearts are to turn to other things. God, we want uh, to be honest about our own temptation to worship our stuff, to worship relationships around us and pretend like they're enough to make us happy. And God, we know deep in our souls that it will not last. God, if we come today honestly before you, we know that we have turned to other things to try to fill that spot in our lives. And so, Lord, we come today honestly before you saying, we, we see you better now, that you have eternally loved, the, the Father has eternally loved the Son, so you've got plenty of love to share, and you have graciously shared it with us. So, God, may we rest in that. May we find our joy and our satisfaction in you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, maybe you want to come pray at the altar or come pray with me. But I invite you as you stand and we sing this closing song that you'll sing out to God today, rejoicing in who He is.